Thank you for that song. Let's stand together and open our Bibles to Hebrews 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. This morning as we continue our study in the lives of those mentioned here in this chapter, their faith is highlighted. We want to look at Noah's faith this morning. Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Go back with me to Genesis chapter 6. For a few minutes this morning, we're going to look at the life of Noah and why God mentioned his faith. As we look at these men, one of the most amazing parts of their lives was the age, the day and age that they were living in. And I always go back to the thought that I can't imagine living without a church, without a pastor, and without the written word of God in my language, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and all these things that keep me accountable, that keep me safe, that encourage, that help, that guide. And Noah had none of these things, and he was living in a very godless society. Matter of fact, most scholars would say at this time that the earth probably had in between 700 million and a billion people on the planet. And the Bible describes what is happening. Uh, it was a very wicked day and age, and we like to think that we are living in the most wicked day and age in the history of the planet. But actually, uh, these times were so wicked, God looked down, was grieved. Uh, he says in verse 3, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Aren't you thankful for the restriction that the Holy Spirit provides? And if it weren't for that, imagine what this planet would be like, how vile and how wicked and how perverse. And despite the fact that man was wicked, the spirit was striving with man, patiently striving with man. And at some point, God said, that's enough. Verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth. Look at the next statement. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I believe we've about reached that point in our country where man's imaginations are only evil continually. You see it in the philosophy. You see it in the actions. You see it in their hatred for God. You see it in the daily lives. You get to interact with it. A society that not only doesn't know God, but hates everything about God, hates his word. But this was a society that God said it grieved him at his heart that he even made man. Look what happens. Go with me down to verse 11 when he continues to speak with Noah about the corruption. Look what it says in verse 11. The earth also. Now, when we're talking about the earth was corrupt, he's saying everything in the earth was corrupt. The educational system, the financial system, the businesses, the government, the family, the religion. He's saying it was a worldwide corruption. The earth was filled with violence. Now, you can't help but pick up the newspaper or see the news. And in this day and age, I don't even want to see it. I avoid it because of this very fact the violence has filled the earth 
rape and violent crime and murder. And nowadays, it's not even that someone was killed. But now it's someone was killed and then dismembered. Children killing their parents. Husbands killing their wives. Parents murdering their own children. We live in a wicked, wicked society. Mass murders. Cannibalism involved and that was the day and age that Noah was living in. And he said, God looked upon the earth and it was corrupt, verse 12, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. But in the midst of all this darkness, look what it says in verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Did you know in the middle of darkness, man, a man with faith can be a shining light? And I'm convinced that good families can still come from a godless society. And too often we use our culture, our society, the philosophy that we're surrounded by as an excuse for our unrighteousness. And here was a man that was living righteously in a very unrighteous generation. Nowadays, holy and holiness is almost a curse word even in Christianity. We don't like the thought of holiness. We don't like the thought of the fact that God is still holy. And without preaching and without daily reproof from the word of God. And the Bible says in 2 Peter 2 that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Can you imagine what Noah had to preach without these 66 books that we call the Bible... All he knew to preach was righteousness, and he did. Now, the amazing fact was when it says he was a just man, a holy man, a righteous man, the Bible talks about three attributes concerning a just man. You know one of those very well. In Proverbs 24, 16, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. This doesn't mean that Noah was without sin. It doesn't mean that Noah never did anything wrong, but Noah knew how to get up quickly and doing right. Now, imagine the struggles that you have living 50 or 60 or 70 years on a sin-cursed planet. Imagine a man that lived just up, leading up to the flood. This is 600 years. At the time of this verse, he was 480 years old. Some of us struggle doing right for a decade. How many Christians have you seen make it six months or a year or five years? And at some point, because of a sin or a struggle or a heartache or a heartbreak, misunderstanding, dissension in the church, some kind of problem, and the next thing you know, they've quit on God. They've walked away from everything that is spiritual. And Noah not for decades, but for centuries, did right. Day after day, week after week, month after month. The Bible states it this way, perfect in his generations. That's not sinless perfection. But he was a just man that when he fell, he quickly got back up again. The Bible says this about a just man, Proverbs 27. The just man walketh in his integrity. Oh, how hard it is to maintain your integrity in a society that has no integrity. 
when everyone else is dishonest and dishonesty is acceptable behavior. Now, you may resist it for a few years or even for a few centuries. If you're an extremely strong Christian, maybe you hold out for 250 years or 300, maybe even 350 when God spoke to him about the flood and building the ark, he's 480 years old. Having done right, and the Bible says this, having been perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. Now imagine this. In a church like this, everything is in your favor. You can come and put your child in a Christian school in an environment where not only is Bible reading encouraged, it's actually required. There are ministries, children's ministries and clubs ministries and junior church and all these things have been put into place and there are spiritual leaders that are constantly encouraging your children to walk with God and love God. There are times of prayer, there are regular prayer meetings, there are Bible studies, services being held chapel that they attend the bible is constantly not just being read and preached to them but they're encouraged to memorize motivated given awards for doing right and with all of that support around them many still don't walk with god personally walk with god and noah all alone in a corrupt society a society that laughed at God and mocked him where he stood alone. Not only did he preach, imagine is he is doing right and sees no result. He thinks I have an open door here. I've been invited to eat. I, I'm going to tell them about God in every single door, every single trail, every single step that he takes. It's always a dead end. It's always a closed door. It always ends up with the same thing. The person in the end doesn't want to get saved, doesn't want to hear about God. Now, here's the joy of serving God. The joy is in the fruit. And I have people ask me, well, pastor, tell me about the joy of serving God. And Christians, so many Christians never, never find joy in serving God because they don't get enjoy the fruit because they're not patient long enough. They don't work hard enough. You can't send a farmer to the field and have him carelessly scatter seed and, and turn over a few clods of dirt and go pull a few weeds and then in three months hope for a harvest. It takes daily work. And then if he's patient and works hard enough, long enough, he knows at some point, you know what the joy of that is? Not tasting the dust or plowing the field. The joy comes in seeing that crop grow to a place where he has a harvest. You know, when that woman, you see joy in her eyes, it's not during the pregnancy. It's not staying up at night. It's not finding herself uncomfortable in every position and craving pickles and chocolate ice cream. The joy comes when that baby is finally born. So in serving God, I want to tell people, if you would stay patient and faithful, at some point, you will see the fruit in the fruit. It's not always in the day, daily labor. Sometimes that's tedious. Sometimes that's burdensome. Sometimes it's overwhelming. 
But when you can enjoy the fruit, oh, in Mexico, yes, there were heartaches planting those churches. Yes, we knew going out day after day, knocking door after door, most of the time, eight or ten hours a day for the first year and seeing very little fruit. We knew if we stayed patient enough, joy would come. That joy is in the fruit that you see produced after patient labor and service. And now we get to enjoy the fruit of preacher boys that have been trained and churches that have been planted and young people going into the ministry because we're patient in our service and the joy comes in, the fruit that's seen. But imagine if you're Noah and you work and you labor and you strive and you stay faithful and you do right and there's no fruit. That's why I often said you need to pray more for those that are laboring in Europe because in Mexico it's very motivational to be in God's work because you're seeing so much fruit, you're seeing so much harvest, you're seeing so many people get saved. But what about those that are serving in countries where fruit is hard to come by and they work and they pray and they knock on doors and they hold revivals and they do all these things and occasionally they see someone saved. Mr. Noah, Mr. Noah, you're 550 years old and your congregation has never grown. Mr. Noah, tell us about your revival services. Tell us about your altar calls. Tell us about your message. You say it was powerful, but you haven't had anyone walk the aisle in 100 years. At what point do you give up? You know what that takes? Faith. If you are not living by faith, you will not be able to live righteously in an unrighteous world. It takes extreme faith. He was a just man. Now, you know the key words that are joined to just man in Scripture? We find it four times. Romans 1.17, it says, The just shall live by faith. You know what just men do? They live every day by faith. That's exactly what Noah was doing. That's what set him apart. And I believe that's still possible in 2013. Wouldn't it be great if we just had a congregation full of people that were just perfect in their generations and that knew how to walk with God? Now, People are convinced they walk with God, although they never attend a prayer meeting, rarely read their Bible, don't share the gospel, live careless spiritual lives. That's not the fruit of walking with God. Walking with God is costly, solitary. It'll put you at enmity with the world. James 4, 4 is one of the most brutal verses in all the Bible. It says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So simply walking with God put Noah at enmity with the world. And that's what we don't like. That's pressure. Can you imagine the pressure that Noah faced daily? Now let's, let's look for a minute at the instructions that God gives Noah because here's what faith does. 
Faith motivates you, it moves you, it leads you to live righteously in a very unrighteous world. But that starts and that happens, it's a result of us being tuned in to God and listening to God. This is a life of faith. We're talking about the nuts and bolts of faith and living by faith. Now look at Noah in the midst of all this wickedness. God said in verse 13 unto Noah. That means Noah was listening. In this day and age with all the hustle and bustle, the TV, radio, friendships, obligations, appointments, meals. It's hard to hear from God. Even in a church environment where all the outside noise is supposed to be shut off, it's still hard to hear from God. Even in a place as quiet as this, we're distracted by a movement, by a child, by someone else clicking a pen or eating a mint. Have you ever thought about how hard it is to hear from God? Now, how can a Christian expect to hear from God on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday if he's not regularly hearing from God on Sunday? And no one listens. He's hearing from God and God said to him, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Now, look what he says in verse 14. Because you better be listening good when suddenly you get these kind of instructions. You better have a pen and paper. Right? How many actually listen to God with a pen and paper? Most listen so casually they can't even remember what God said five minutes ago. Noah, you better have a pen and paper. Make thee an ark. Now, if I were Noah, living in this day and age, I would immediately raise my hand. Okay, God, you, you're going to have to explain that. I know it sounds simple. Ark, I can, I can pronounce that word. I just don't know for sure what you're talking about. You have to remember, he was living in a day and age when there was no rain. He had never had to deal with building a boat before, let alone an ark. God says, it's just a huge house, Noah. An ark of gopher wood. Now, remember this. Because up to this point, everything's going well before God begins to explain the details of exactly what Noah has to build. So he says, an ark, gopher wood. I know what gopher is. You have to remember, they don't have tools. They don't have trucks. They don't have sawmills. They don't have planers. Saws, table saws, band saws, chainsaws. None of this exists. Can you imagine what kind of tools Noah had to work with? How was Noah going to chop down a tree? Have you ever been to a museum and seen axes from 5,000 years ago? They're pretty crude tools. An axe with a head made out of stone, and you get to cut down hundreds to make a boat this size, thousands of trees. How do you do that without a planer? How do you take that wood, make it flat enough of the same size where you can actually work with it, fit it together? Noah, how are you going to get nails? Can you imagine how rustic his hammer 
must have looked. Now, it's not only the problem of coming up with these tools. You need enough tools to put together a boat of such incredible dimensions that another one would not be built of the same size until the 20th century when life and tools and technology had changed drastically. Look what it says. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. Rooms shalt thou make in the ark. Thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. You're going to have to seal this thing. Verse 15, this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. That's 450 feet. That means you get down here at the stop sign and you run to the end of the block, wait for the traffic to go by, cross the street, and go to the edge of the property at the assembly of God. That's the length of your boat, Mr. Noah. That's a big, big boat. It's going to be 75 feet across, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height 30 cubits. That means it's going to be six stories high. A window thou shalt make in the ark, it has to have a window for breathing so that you and those animals don't... Animals? Hold on for a second. No, I'm going to tell you about the animals in a minute. He speaks of three levels with the lower, second, and third story shalt thou make it. Now imagine what is going through his mind with these dimensions. He's trying to imagine how much wood he's going to have to gather. That's why it took him 120 years to build it. And most likely, he didn't just employ his boys, but occasionally, I'm sure, he got local help. As long as they were getting paid, they didn't care, although it all seemed pretty strange. This is on dry land. This isn't even close to an ocean or close to a lake or a body of water. On dry land, he's building the world's biggest hotel, animal hotel. Now, let me ask you this. If someone came to you in 2013 and said, I need help with a project. Really? What are you thinking about? A boat. A boat? Yeah. So, what are you thinking? 12-footer, 18-footer? 24-footer, bass boat. What are you thinking? Fiberglass? No, I'm thinking about wood, and I'm thinking about football field and a half long. <laughs> Takes faith to accept that kind of project. Wait, the instructions aren't done yet. Verse 19, and of every living thing. Now think about this instruction. He's already rolling around in his mind the thought about the size of this boat, and then suddenly... God says, you're going to have to make rooms inside. What are all these rooms for? There are only eight people here in my family. Oh, no, we're not talking about your family, no. We're talking about every living creature on the planet has to go in this boat. Now, what if I told you today, forget the whole boat idea. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out with your family and collect one of every living creature on the planet. Hold on for a second. Two. Hold on for a second. Seven of the clean animals and two of the unclean. Every living species of animals on the planet and bring it here. That's an impossible task. Humanly speaking, that is an impossible task. These are the things that God is telling to Noah and he is listening 
And how often does God say something? Because we can't understand it. We can't fathom it. We can't imagine it. It's way past our human understanding. And there sits Noah receiving these instructions, two of every sort. <laughs> now, at this point, how many of you have ever been given a list of jobs and the more you look at it, the more overwhelming it seems. We're going into the school year. And in the Bible college, one of the first things we do, we overwhelm the students because all of us teachers, we sit down, we talk about the semester, and we give them the semester's assignments. And when every teacher gives them the assignment for the semester, at one time, one day, it's overwhelming. They're thinking, I can't read all these books. I can't do all these reports. I'm just not going to make it. And that's how Noah feels. He's just received an incredible assignment. And then God says, hold on, don't, don't put up your pen yet. There's one more thing, verse 21. And take thou unto thee of all the food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. He said, not only do you have to build this boat, not only do you have to bring in two of all the clean animals on the face of the earth, uh, excuse me, seven of all the clean, two of all the unclean. He said, now, at the very end, when everything's put together and all the animals are in place, don't forget, you need food for all those animals according to their tastes, their likes and dislikes. Don't just gather all hay or all alfalfa. Remember, you have some meat-eating animals on that boat. And Noah, then you've got to gather food for your family and for your boys, for their wives. At this point, where do you think you would be mentally, emotionally, considering this task? Overwhelmed, right? Are you understanding Noah's faith? Look what it says in verse 22. Thus did Noah. Now, when we read this, we forget to meditate on everything involved. And we think he just made a few phone calls and uh, became the project manager and talked to the Lowe's and talked to the Home Depot and talked to the stores close by and said, I need about 8,000 pounds of lumber. I'm going to need several new saws. I'm going to go hire about 45 men to help me out. That's what we think when the Bible says, thus did Noah. No. You know what Noah did? He started putting the plans together. Then his first job was simply to come up with an axe and begin to locate trees. And one at a time, chop them down. Now at the start, it wasn't such a bad job. But after he'd cut down every gopher tree within a 20-mile radius, you think he just had gopher trees in excess in the area? Do you think he had enough gopher trees in his backyard? He just, you know, walked out with his axe and cut one down. And folks, we're talking about a lot of trips out of town just to get the wood. Thus did Noah. Now here's faith. Faith says, I'm going to live righteously in an unrighteous world. I'm going to tune my heart my ear, my mind to God, and then whatever he says, it's one thing to listen to God, it's another thing to actually obey everything he says to the letter of the law. 
Because a lot of people actually tune in. But once they hear the instruction, they tune out. Or they pick and choose. You know the whole boat concept? I, I can understand that. But here's modern day Christianity. I think we're better off going about 80 feet. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. Matter of fact, if you think about the animals, we would recalculate the dimensions and say, I can fit in animals without needing that much space. God gave these instructions to the average independent Baptist. That boat would have looked nothing like the boat that God had commanded him to make. This boat was nearly unsinkable. The dimensions were perfect. You know why? Because God was the designer. But here's what man does. Okay, I'll listen to you, God. But there are things, if, if we're not in agreement here, I want you to know I'm going to readjust and conform what you say into my thinking. And we'll, we'll come to a, an agreement here. And I'll, I'll do some of what you say. But in the end, it's got to make sense. Did any of this make sense? You know what? The first hundred years, I don't believe any of this made sense. You're building this kind of a massive structure on dry land and not one drop of water falls out of the sky. And if it did, let's just say it rained, it poured, it dropped 10 inches one night. How far did it move that boat? Do you understand what it'd be like trying to, just trying to fathom what God was doing here? Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, all mentioned several times, chapter 7, verse 5, and Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. That is faith. And how many times do we hear or we read the word of God, we understand his will, the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, we're moved. But in the end, we don't do all that God commanded us to do. I just find it hard to believe that Christians can put themselves in this category and say, preacher, I am doing all that God has commanded me to do. There's a lot of things in this book that God desires out of his people and tells us to do. What if we just went with the five basics? Tithing, 10%. Do you do all that God commands you to do? You ever done 8%, 7%, skipped a week? You're commanded to read, meditate, and memorize this book. Let's see, did you do that this week? Read, meditate, memorize this book? Noah received a command that would blow our minds in this generation with everything that we have accessible. If I gave this to, command to any single person in this building, you would simply look at me and smile and say, Preacher, you need to take your medication. Relax. Go drink a coffee, calm down, think it over, pray about it. Come back and let's talk about this in a week. You know, I, you just say it's, it's too unbelievable. Now go back in time, 4,500 years, and Noah said, yes, sir, absolutely. I'll do everything you've commanded me to do. Not just that, it was immediate. Verse 9, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, male and female, as God had commanded 
Noah, not only did he build that ark, he began to bring in the animals. I don't know how God did this. We know it was supernatural. But I know that Noah didn't sit down with his sons and say, here's what we're going to do. You make a duck call. You make a goose call. You make a fox call. And you make a dog call. And we'll all blow the whistle at the same time. And they all come running into the ark. God said, I'll do my part, but you're going to have to do your part. Can you imagine... <laughs> Noah's cut down every tree within a hundred mile radius. So there is no forest. Obviously, there were no greenies back then. Noah would have been in serious trouble. But what's left of the tree stumps, Noah's out there trying to call in a goose. He's trying to bring in a deer. He's trying to catch a fox. I don't know how God did this. But I do know that God expected Noah to get up, go out, and do exactly what he had commanded him to do. Look what it says. Noah immediately went to work. Verse 13. In, what's the next few words? The self-same day. This is faith. Faith doesn't say, I'm going to wait a month to do this. I'm not going to try to figure this out. Too often Christians are saying, when I understand tithing, when I understand church attendance, when I understand sowing, when I understand these things, then I'm going to get involved. Noah didn't wait to understand. Now let me ask you this. If Noah would have waited to understand the command, how long would he have been sitting there, mulling over, drawing out the plans? Can you imagine the first time he received these instructions and he drew out the plans? Then he started figuring out how many two-by-fours and four-by-fours and two-by-sixes he needed. I think at that point he would have said, Oh, boy, I hope I kill over a heart attack. My son's going to finish this project. I bet he was trying to get sun cancer. Can you imagine, Miss Noah? No, did you put on sunblock today? Nope, nope. Sure didn't. Got a bad burn. Oh, man. Horrific. Got a bad burn today. Another bad burn. Bad burn for the 68th year in a row. And nothing seems to be happening. Don't look at me like that. You know what's going to be crossing your mind when you've been cutting trees and planting wood with a rock for 60 years. Tell me at some point you're not praying for a heart attack to happen. Now, here's what happened. 120 years later, the boat's in place. Now, think about this for a minute. How many people have come by? I believe it became a tourist attraction at some point. When you have this many people on the planet, I hate to break the bad news to you, Niagara Falls didn't exist. The Grand Canyon, Big Ben, the pyramids. So what else are they going to go see? Right? You know, someone comes into town, Noah's Ark's around here somewhere, right? Yeah. About a mile down the road, you want to go see it? Oh, I'd love to see it. Oh, man, it's incredible. It's just like wood. Just, you know? It's like a house for a million people. Pretty incredible. He calls it a boat. You want to go tour it? At this point, they're only charging 10 bucks a person. <laughs> How do you think he was financing this project? You can get a signed picture for $1.50. Now, folks, I don't know what was taking place, but I do promise you this. There was a lot of people 
maybe at this point, they're tired of making fun of it. You can only make fun of something for so long. You know, a joke's not funny after 120 years of telling it. <laughs> so maybe at this point, everyone was living a long time. Maybe one ever had already seen the boat, taken the tour. They're getting down to the end. 120 years of building and working. Can you imagine what Noah's hands looked like at that point? You work with wood that long. You cut that many trees. And you build that kind of structure. Here's what faith does. Faith will keep you serving and working. That's faith. Now, hold on for a second. How many of you have gotten involved in the work of God, the service of God, on any level, whether Sunday school level or club level, a ministry level, music level, whatever level you got in on, and after about six years or eight years or ten years, maybe you had a bad experience, maybe you just got tired, maybe it just wasn't what you dreamt it would be, maybe your voice wasn't as strong and as powerful as it was in your youth, so you decided, I don't sound like a metal lark anymore. Sound like a buzzard. <laughs> so I'm done singing in the choir. Maybe you just got to the point where you were tired, but I would think after 120 years, now I've only lived a third of that time, and I've been tired. I haven't built any boat. I haven't cut down any trees. I haven't planed wood. I haven't hammered that many nails. But at some point, he had to say, this is crazy. This is absolutely crazy. What in the world am I doing? Now, let me ask you this. How many times have you reached that place that we were talking about earlier where you just couldn't find any joy at all in service and it seemed like that ministry that you were investing so much in, the work that you were doing, you're knocking doors, no one's being saved, you're praying, no prayers being answered, you're working with children and it just seems you're not making any progress, you're investing time and money and you're saying, God, I would like to see some kind of visible results. Faith is the only thing that will keep you going at that moment when all other earthly motivation is gone. So that's when God reveals your faith because Oh, it's so easy. I was talking to Brother Welder, and he said, what's the difference between pastoring in Mexico and pastoring in the States? I said, oh, there's so many more motivational factors. You're constantly adding young converts to the institute. You're constantly seeing people go off to Bible college. You're constantly seeing new faces in church. You're constantly, there were many times we baptized 12, 15, 18 people at a time, a single Sunday. That's motivational. The fruit is motivational. But Noah had no motivation. It was only criticism. Even his own wife, I guarantee you at times, looked at him and said, Noah, you are whacked out. Where are you going? I've got to go take another vacation. You know what a vacation for Noah was, right? A trip 50 miles away on horse to search for more gopher trees. Noah, I finished room number 68 today. Good. What do you want me to say? You do room after room. For what? You keep drawing these maps that you saw a hyena in a cave. 
if you put one more map on my refrigerator, <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Noah. What, what is that drawing? I saw this weird animal. He's living in a... You know what? I think we better just catch it now and put it in a cage because I don't know if I'm going to find that thing again. <laughs> Do you know living by faith is crazy? Do you know a lot of what we see in reading that word, the world looks at it is crazy and the human mind can't comprehend it. But here's what faith does. Faith says, when I serve and no one notices, there seemingly is no reward. What, what if you live 600 years doing right, 600 years, and here's your reward. It starts to rain, you climb in the ark with your family, and then you get to get blown around in the midst of a storm for weeks on end. Now, hold on for a second. Let's talk about reward for just a minute. Because you know what we consider reward to be? Something that I want, something that I value, that God should give to me. So here's how we live the Christian life. It's a matter of exchange. We're trying to bargain with God and make deals. God, I'm going to serve you but there are things on high on my priority list. There are things that I highly value. So if I'm serving God, living righteously, we think my reward is I value nice houses. I value nice cars. I value nice possessions. So if I'm living righteously and God is rewarding me, whatever I highly value, 401k, money in my pocket, nice clothes, what is it that you value? So that's what you consider the reward. So that's what you expect out of God. So when you live righteously, here's what you say. God, there's an exchange here. I'll serve you, but you have to understand this is what I highly value. So this is what you should be given to me in order for me to feel blessed. And most Christians consider themselves blessed as long as they have in life what they highly value. So here's what Noah could have said. Noah could have said, I highly value, back in those days, having children was considered a blessing. Now philosophies have changed, society has changed. People don't think the same. You ought to consider children a blessing. But if he was sitting there saying children would be a blessing, he only had three. What about material possessions? You know, if you're going to build a boat this big, you have to have some kind of money behind you. He didn't have a congregation. He couldn't take up a special offering. He couldn't have a camp meeting and say, now, brethren, we're doing a special project to save the souls of mankind. We need a faith promise here, brethren. We need a statewide effort to finance the will of God. You know who was paying for this project? One man. Mr. Noah. So he had to have some kind of finance, but whatever he had, it wasn't being stored up in gold and silver coins or dollar bills. So when the storm hit, can you imagine, Miss Noah? If you are building that boat for a bunch of animals, you better be sure you're putting in some nice cabinets in my kitchen. You are not building an 18,000 square feet hotel for animals and putting me in a house with 600 square feet. 
Ain't happening. Now, let me ask you this, man. If you had 600 years to work on your wife's house, she better have some nice cabinets. <laughs> so, if his blessing were children, he was not blessed. He only had three. If he considered financial blessings or material things to be a blessing, he was not blessed because he lost it all in the flood. If he considered numbers, accomplishment, church growth, souls saved to be the blessing of God, could he look back at any way that God had blessed him? What could Noah point to and say, that is God's blessing on my life? Look at my congregation. I can fit them in the sound booth at my church. I have three children. Whatever house I built is ready to go under the flood. Do you see what I'm saying? Now let me ask you this. Do you have faith strong enough that if you receive no blessing outside the salvation of your soul, you would keep working as if God had blessed you at every corner? Do you have faith strong enough to say, God's my blessing, I'm good with that? Hebrews chapter 11. Let's read the verse that we started at this morning. Hebrews 11 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Remember what we said about faith. Faith is always based on the fear of God. He moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. I want you to see three ways that faith affected him. Number one, it made him righteous. Number two, it saved his family. And number three, it condemned the world. Now, here's what faith will do for you. The only way you can be made righteous before God, the only way you can gain entrance into heaven is through faith. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. It's amazing that it's that clear in scripture, but religion still confuses it. Satan has got religions all across this planet to preach that entrance into heaven is gained through good works. He did not and was not saved. Noah was not saved because he was faithful, because he obeyed God, because he built a boat. Noah found grace, the Bible says. Grace was the basis of his righteousness. It was through faith that says he was an heir of the righteousness of God, which is by faith. And the only way you can be made righteous is to put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. Thank God it wasn't based on works because after the flood, Noah got drunk and he would have lost any chance of going into heaven if his righteousness would have been based on his works. But his faith saved his family. And here's why you ought to have faith. And here's why you ought to be faithful. And here's why you ought to live for God because it is going to affect your family. Thank God when he climbed into the, that boat, can you imagine how thankful his wife was after it started raining and she's looking around and seeing her children safely in that boat? Thank God every day looking at those Three children we have, not because they're perfect. They're all imperfect. But I thank God they're saved. They're born again. They're on their way to heaven. And that ought to be a concern. One of the reasons that you ought to maintain the faith and stay faithful is if you have children, you ought to look at your family and say, I want to see every one of those kids in heaven, so I better make sure that I am keeping the faith obeying God, doing that which is right because they're the ones that will have to pay if I don't keep the faith.
But it says by the which he condemned the world. And here's the part that's uncomfortable about faith. Did you know when you live by faith, you condemn the world? No, not just the fact that he was a preacher of righteousness. How, how many of you are born again, you go to a family reunion, you don't even quote a verse, you don't put up a pulpit, you don't open up the Bible, you don't say, this morning I'm going to preach John, John 3.16. You've never done that. You simply walked in with a smile on your face, a difference in your heart, and they knew it, and that condemned them. They knew we're, we're stuck. We want to drink, and we can't drink because Ernest is here. One of them starts getting fidgety and goes to their pocket trying to pull out a cigarette and then they look over at you and remember you're a Christian. Just your faith, just your salvation, just the fact that you're different makes him uncomfortable and condemns him. But it wasn't just that he was a preacher of righteousness. It wasn't just that he was doing something different. Every time he cut down a tree and they saw him dragging it back to the ark, it was condemnation because he had said, I'm building this boat because God's going to judge the earth. He's going to send a flood. He's going to wipe us all off the map unless we turn to him. And they mocked. So every time they heard him hammering a nail, planing a board, gathering trees, you know what it was? Condemnation. Every time they saw him, they heard his words of judgment. It was a visual object lesson because Noah said, you're going to perish. God's going to send a flood. You will perish. It's turn or burn. It's trust God. Go out into a crisis eternity. You can get onto that boat. You can climb onto that ark or you can die in the water. Judgment is coming. So guess what? At some point, he didn't even have to say those words. He was just sharpening his axe. Every time they walked by and saw him cutting another tree was condemnation. You know why it's difficult at work? Once they know you're a Christian, when you do right, whatever you do is condemnation for them. Here's what God said. My spirit shall not always strive with Man, if God is working in your heart this morning, you better get saved today. God says, I won't always strive with you. There comes a time, there comes an end, and at some point the water began to fall. Noah and his family went to the ark. The door shut, and once inside, when it began to rain, and that water level began to climb, can you imagine how many thousands of people were banging on that ark, trying to pry open the door, trying to get in? Couldn't because God had said no. I'll give you 120 years. But at some point that door shuts. You better get saved. You better listen. You're offered salvation. John 3.16 said, For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We're not trying to condemn the world, but our life, our preaching, our Righteousness condemns the world. You better let them know. There is a time God will show mercy, but at some point His Spirit will stop striving. We certainly hope that you've enjoyed this message today, but more importantly, we hope that the Lord has challenged you in some way to grow in your Christian life. 
For more information about our church, including directions and times of services, please visit our website at www.capitalcitybaptist.org.